In this first episode of Scammer Stories... She had taken probably about $200,000 of dad's money. Scammer scumbags don't just ruin the lives of their victims, they also tear families apart. I had one of his scammers threaten to kill me. For elderly loved ones, the constant attention becomes an addiction. We had a family intervention shortly after the first scammer. Wendy's story is a lot like mine. My name is April, and I'll be sharing my story in future episodes. Right now, I want to focus on interviewing others, partly so I can learn what to do for my family and partly to get the word out to help stop this from happening to others. There's some explicit language in this particular episode, so it's not a good idea to listen with children in the room. It started, I'm going to say late 2014, early 2015, Um, My mom went into a nursing home, and um, she had Alzheimer's, so he was kind of alone and and I think looking for somebody, because I I noticed in a lot of his later chats, it was more more like, okay, when are you going to come home? When I want you to come home, live with me, you know, that kind of stuff. So for him, I think he needed somebody. You know, he likes the companionship. Um, I, I have a brother and sister. They don't live near, I'm, I'm the closest one, which I live 45 minutes away. Um, so he was just looking for companionship. He went on Match.com, and I think our time, I think it's for older people. Um, let's see, how did I find out? The first one, well, there was two going on at the same time. Um, the first one I found out because he posted something on Facebook um, about meeting a nice young lady. The other one um, he had pictures around the house of her, and I'm like, who's this young girl? And, you know, so he told me about the one. Um, so the one in particular that is involved in the case that you know about, um, her story was, I think she, I think she was with uh, somehow involved with a madam. Anyhow, this madam um, controlled her. And eventually, somehow, her father had passed, and she had to go to Ghana to get her inheritance. And that was where this is inheritance of gold. And that's where um, he started giving her money because she would need it for the lawyers or whatever. And, and and I don't know much about that whole story because he was kind of private with with that person. But what I do know is she supposedly was living in an orphanage of some sort, working with people. Um, But what was very interesting about it all is that she would have packages sent to my dad's house. Um, And I'm talking like brand new sneakers, um, jerseys, laptops. Um, He even went to Walmart and picked up this like huge TV. Um, They were all paid for, I'm assuming with stolen credit cards. And then they would prearrange DHL drop-offs or pickups, I mean, and then they would get sent to this orphanage in Ghana. So that that was how I kind of um, learned about this girl. And then by the time that I kind of started catching on that this orphanage is, you know, getting really high-end stuff, she had disappeared. So, but she had taken probably about two hundred thousand dollars of dad's money. And then um, when she he, disappeared, did he go through a, a depression? Or how did that go? Um, you know, he, I don't think so because he always had other girls. It, it was like they were just coming at him. 
you know. Um, so, um, but I think, but all the other girls after that was kind of short-lived. I'm, I'm, I imagine he did go through a depression. I just probably didn't realize it, you know. Um, but like I said, I only saw my dad like maybe every two weeks, every three weeks because of where he lived and, and how I worked. Um, I mean, I would go and, and help around the house and make food and stuff like that for him. So he was kind of always upbeat when I was there. But I think he still wanted that companionship, and that's where all the other scammers would come in. He would, he would you know, meet them on these dating sites. So. Um, and how many do you he, think, if you had to guess? Well, I know of at least, at least 12, because what happened was my dad didn't have the greatest of health. And um, he would go into the hospital for various um, uh, procedures and things like that. And during one of his visits, when I was taking care of him, I put a key logger on his computer. So I was able to get all his passwords and all that kind of stuff, and I monitored things. And um, by doing that, and I, I know it's, I don't think it's legal, but I did it because I was desperate. Um but I was able to see people that he was involved with. I was able to see transactions that he was doing. I was able to head off a lot of them um, in particular. Well, first of all, by the time that I, I found out about the previous scammer that I told you about, um, I had contacted DHL, Western Union. Um, I think that by that time I'd contacted a lawyer and asked their advice what to do. Um, but, um, um, one scammer wanted him to pay a lawyer fee. Um, he was trying to buy like $10,000 worth of Neiman Marcus gift cards. Um, and they were able to, I called Neiman Marcus, explained the situation, they canceled the transaction. Um, no sooner did I do that. And at um, Nordstrom's, he was buying high-end shoes and purses, like $15 uh, shoes, $2,500 purses. Um, I talked to them. They were nice enough to cancel the transaction. Um, um, the same scammer that I'm talking about with the Nordstrom and the um, Neiman Marcus, I know that he had sent her probably about $2,000 worth of cash through Federal Express. Um, and what's interesting is all of those went to the same address, and it was a convention center in Texas. So I called Federal Express, I called the convention center, um, and I explained the whole situation. Nobody wanted to investigate it. Nobody wanted to take any kind of responsibility. Um, they said, well, maybe you should call the local police department. So in Texas, I called this local police department, explained the whole situation. They're like, well, we don't have enough manpower to deal with this kind of stuff. You know, so again, I'm, I'm hitting a brick wall. Um, that particular scammer also had uh, my dad, he, they tried to buy a gift card to some spa in Las Vegas. I talked to them. They were wonderful. Um, they canceled the tra transaction. Somebody came in to try to pick up that gift card, um, and that was a whole other situation. But, but I was able to stop some of these transactions. But the problem is later somehow my dad felt that he was being watched and monitored because transactions were getting canceled and he started going on his cell phone. And that was where I kind of lost all control. I felt that he was out of money, so it would just go away. Well, it didn't go away. He just borrowed and borrowed and borrowed. 
which I never imagined that that would happen. And when you say borrowed, you mean credit cards, banks? Where do they go to get the money? He didn't take out any loans, but he he mortgaged his house. Um, So he probably had a $250,000 mortgage on the house that he got full, um, you know, cash out on that. Um, He would um, get cash advances on his credit cards or he would be buying things like uh, one of his scammers he was buying groceries for at this online grocery store called Ghana Mart. He would buy groceries there. Um, it, it was very heartbreaking because every time you thought you were ahead of it, you weren't. Yep. And what did it do between, okay, first of all, let's back up a little bit. What kind of conversations would you have with him and how would he react I would say, Dad, you're not sending any money to anybody, are you? No, no, I'm not. Um, So, you know, those kinds of things. I would explain scammers. I would send him emails. I would send him proof that his his scammer was using fake photos. And what he would do, he would forward them to the scammer. Like, what's this all about? And then he would believe them and not me. Um, There was a particular time where... My dad was telling me he had a new girlfriend, and he told me about her, and she, um, let's see, her her story was her fiancé died in a car crash, um, and recently, within the last month, her mother had died. She was from Texas. Um, she was a nurse. Okay, so with those kinds of things and knowing what I know and, and stuff, I investigated her. Couldn't find anything on her. She had a very unique Greek last name couldn't find anything on her. And so I um, was sitting with dad and I said, okay, dad, let's let, I'm just showing you, I can't find anything for her. So he gave me her mailing address. Mailing address was actually um, like one of those um, gated communities. And it was the office of that community. I'm like, dad, nobody has an address of the office of that community. What's her, what's her apartment number or what's her, her street you know, number, that kind of thing. And, and he didn't have it. He just kind of said, well, that's what people do. People are private. So then um, this same girl, I said, okay, well, she works in a hospital. She has to have a badge. Tell her to snap a picture of it. Send it to me. Prove it to me that she actually, this is who she is, and she's actually working in this hospital. And um, I think he asked her for it. He said, my daughter thinks you're a scammer. And it kept going back and forth. And I said, Dad. Tell her to prove it. Prove it to me. You know, just do this for me. And basically, he said to me, get the fuck out of my house. Mm -hmm. And I stayed around for a little bit longer, got a little tense, and I eventually left. Um, So that was one in particular. There was a time where my dad wanted to have me arrested because I was intervening in a lot of these transactions and trying to watch over him and things like that. He actually called the police and wanted to have arrested. And and at that point, I gave up and I stopped talking to him for about six months. Um, And then his health got bad and I kind of went back and tried to take care of him again. Um, And do you have siblings? I do. Were you guys all on the same page or did some of you think it was real? We were all on the same page. They all knew. Um, in fact, we had a family intervention, and that was that was um, shortly after the first scammer. Um, 
we, he had a contentious relationship with my sister, but my brother, um, he had a great relationship with, and we all showed up at once. It was unannounced. He was thrilled. His family was there. And then we started saying, look, you know, we think you're involved in some stuff that's not particularly legal. We think you're involved with scammers. Um, and basically he wouldn't admit it. And I said, dad, by this time I had access into his emails and stuff. I said, dad, you just sent a package to Ghana that had $300 worth of cash rolled up in Tootsie Roll wrappers. I said, that's not normal. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, um, so he never, ever, ever would admit it. Um, like I said, at first he admitted that he would have a girlfriend. And, you know, and, and I said to him, because I knew mom was in the nursing home, and, he, and I knew that she didn't know, she didn't know him. And I said, Dad, it's okay to date. Because I thought maybe he just wanted that, that validation. But it's okay to date. I just want you to date somebody that you can talk to in person, go have coffee with. You know, he told me about a date that he went on and, and he didn't like it. And but it, but he but he liked the attention of all these scammers coming to him every day saying, Hey Bob, how you doing? Did you have your coffee today? You know, so um my family was on board with it. Um there was a point where my brother got really upset with him and that was regarding my mom because he was too involved with his girlfriend. He didn't want to do anything with mom. And so my brother kind of abandoned him. I was the only one that was left to kind of be around and try to steer him in the right direction, but it didn't work. And what what was his illness? Um, I think it was just heart disease. Mm-hmm. Um, he had had some heart issues since he was like 50 years old, and um, he had a massive heart attack. Okay. But he had had previous problems with his health as far as um, – back issues. He had several back surgeries and things like that and stuff like that. He he was not in great health. So, you know, of course he liked the attention of people saying, How are you doing today? Did you take your medicine? Did you go to the doctors? What did they say? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Were you ever worried or hoped for charges against your dad to get him to stop? Um, I thought about that and especially with the um the packages that were arriving and then getting sent through DHL to Ghana, I thought about that. But by the time that I kind of latched onto all that, it had stopped. Um, he did mention when we had the family intervention that somebody did come talk to him and he didn't have to pay for it. And that was all he ever mentioned. He wouldn't go into detail. I, when I talked to the lawyer, basically the lawyer said there was nothing I could do. Um, I could talk to um, the state police, I could talk to his bank, I could have him deemed incompetent, which we kind of thought that was a long road and could cause a lot of animosity. Um, but like I said, by that point, I thought he was out of money. Um, and we decided, I was even, I was in the process of writing a letter to his doctor to say, you know, do you, can you see if you think he's mentally competent? But I never got that far because I always felt, oh, he's out of money. And like I said, I didn't realize that he would just keep farming. Unless they're doing money laundering, although in my dad's case, you know, he had the money laundering case. He was he was a victim. But I think in that case, he was just depositing money of his own money. He wasn't, like, bringing it in and then sending out to anybody else as far as I know. So did this ever end before his death? 
No, he actually had a scammer on the line when he died. And um, this particular scammer had the full name and address of somebody in Mississippi. And I don't know the story because by that time he had gone on his smartphone and I didn't know the story, but, but she was in Ghana. But, but the interesting thing was after he died, I found checks and stuff of, of checks that he had sent to this girl at the Mississippi address. And I know, so anyhow, I contacted this girl um, and I said, you know, what's my dad sending you money for? And she's like, oh, your dad was a sweetheart. He would help me with my babies. And he would send me packages. I'm like, well, what were in these packages that you would receive? She'd be like, oh, you never knew. Sometimes it was T-shirts. Sometimes it was teddy bears, you know. And, and I got to tell you, I know my dad enough. My dad does not send people money just because he feels bad for them and they want, he wants to help support their children. Um, my dad was not a generous man, and that's kind of why a lot of this was very hard for, for my family to grasp. Um, so I had a very long chat with this girl, and I said, look, you're, somebody's using your name and address, but not only that, you're cashing my dad's checks. Because by that time, dad didn't have a lot of money, so he was sending checks. Um, I said, you're a money mule. And I said, if you don't fess up and tell me what you're involved in, I'm going to report you. Um, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. Um, I eventually did report her. I have no idea if something happened to it. But what I know of from my research that the FBI is not really interested unless anything's over $10,000. And, and the money that was going to her wasn't $10,000. So when my dad died, like I said, this this persona of this girl in Mississippi, I started chatting with her on the phone with my dad. My dad had already passed, but I had access to his phone. And um, I just kind of got bored with it after a while. She didn't ask for any money um, after about a week. And finally, I said, look, my dad's died and you're done. I know you're a scammer. And basically she said, well, you know, I'm still getting the gold from my dad. And why don't you give me your email address? So she was trying to reel me in. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're vicious. So what do you have to say, if anything, for other victims, family members, what kind of advice would you give them? Honestly, I think that there needs to be something done in in our, with our legislators, they need to pass something that we can do something. I, I mean, I know that they, I, the only thing that we can do as far as legally is to get them deemed incompetent, take care of their finances and things like that. But from my understanding from the lawyer, that's a long road. So if something's happening now, I don't know where you get help. And that's where it's, it's hard. Um, I, I do think having conversations with parents and elders and things like that about it is important, but it all depends on who you're talking to, whether they're going to take that information and do something with it. Yeah. The problem is they don't want to believe it's fake. They want to believe it's real. Exactly. But but like, even in my case, I showed dad all the fake photos. I showed, you know, I showed him enough evidence and he just forwarded it to the scammer as if to say, well, and then they had some excuse. You know, I had one um, of his scammers threaten to kill me. And, of course, I laughed because I knew they, you know, were nowhere near where I was or even in the United States. 
Um, and in fact, there was one, the, the same one that threatened to kill me. Um, her and I had some email conversations back and forth. And basically, I said, well, if you're real, you can prove this, 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 and this. And I, li- I literally had 25 different things that showed why I felt she was um, not a real person and what she needed to do to prove herself. And she basically forwarded it to my dad, and, and my dad, you know, uh, just ignored me and, and just told her to just ignore it. Um, in fact, when I was desperate, I got, this is when I was desperate and I didn't know enough. Um, I even offered one of them $5,000 to leave my dad alone. Did you end up sending well, the money? No, no. She forwarded the, the, the email to dad. And um, I, I don't, to be honest, at this point, I don't remember what happened of that. But basically it was, and I think they knew that they could get more out of dad than my $5,000. At, at that point, I thought $5,000 was a lot of money for them. So um, describe to me what um, victims, family members, what, what it is exactly you went through and how this affected your world. Oh, it was terrible. I was so hypervigilant. I could because I because I had access to his emails and his Facebook and his dating sites and things like that. I knew everything, and it was really hard for me to contain it. It was hard for me, like that was all I talked about. I was so focused on him, um, and what he was doing and trying to to call different places to get them to stop transactions and things like that. But what I couldn't stop was when he would go to the bank and get cash and send it through MoneyGram. You know, I, I do tell you what I, what I do is when I go to the Walmarts and the CVSs and things like that, and I'm at the counter, I will say to them, Hey, when somebody comes in and sends Western union or they buy MoneyGrams, do you ever ask them what they're sending it for? They're like, Oh no. I'm like, well, you really should because, and then I tell them why. Um, I just don't think that there's enough education out there. I think that um, for my family, we were frantic. I mean, here my dad was, he, he worked, he was a retired military guy. He worked in the military. Luckily, my dad had um, two pensions and Social Security coming in every month um, on top of his savings and stuff like that. He was set, but at the end, he was struggling to make minimum payments on his credit cards with the money that he was bringing in. Um, but it was really effective on me and my family. Um, my husband and my son, I think they were just tired of me hearing about, they were sick about the money that he was losing and, and, you know, just, you would go to have visits with him and, and how do you look him in the face knowing what he's doing? And, and but he thinks it's all legit, you know, and, and, you, and, you, and you really wonder is, is dad okay? You know, but my dad was a smart man and he was one of those men that like didn't part with money. So I didn't, I still to this day don't understand how he let all his money go. I went, after I talked to the lawyer, I went to the bank and I said, you know, what was going on? I said, I talked to a lawyer, you know, they suggested that I talk to you. And they they just looked at me and said, I'm sorry, there's nothing that we can do because it's not your account. We can't talk to you about things. And I get that. But at the same time, I was like, kind of more, just give me something kind of warm, fuzzy that you know what I'm talking about. You know that you'll keep an eye on him. After he died, I didn't realize that the bank managers did talk to him about being involved in scam. 
Um, now, the, the funny thing is, is whenever we went in to close his account for the state, he didn't want to close his account because he had $10,000 on one of their credit cards. And I wanted to look at him and say, look, you're the ones who gave him that credit. You're the ones who I warned about. After his death, were you or your siblings, this is another thing that people are going to want to know, were you on the hook for any money? No. Okay. Um, according to the lawyer that I talked to previously, he said no. The only way we would be on the hook of anything is if, let's say, he had a stroke or whatever and had to go into nursing care and get on Medicaid. Medicaid could come to us and say, look, your dad gave away all his money. Um, your family's responsible for his the, the uh, cost of his care. Um, but obviously we never got to that. Dad died suddenly. Um, so, but when we're still closing his estate, but basically what happened was we were able to sell his house for what was on the mortgage. So we made nothing on the house. Um, he had a, he had a huge gun collection. Um, he was a collector um, and he had a lot of, um, like his cars and stuff were not new. They were older, um, he did have a lot of hunting and camping stuff like that. He had a big sale, uh, an estate sale. Basically, any money that came from that paid the lawyer and the creditors. Um, and I can tell you by the time that we paid the lawyer, and then the only thing that will come to the family is anything for the executor, um, there's probably only $25,000 left to pay his creditors, which he had $72,000 worth of debt and credit cards. Wow. So basically the, the creditors are taking a loss on it. He has five grandchildren. It would have been great if he could have helped pay for some of their college. Obviously all that went to Ghana. Um, you know, and, and you, can't, you can't say, well, God should have paid for our kids' education. It's not fair to say that, but it's really sad. It's really, really sad. You can't be too careful. Both me and Wendy were targeted by our loved one scammer. Mine claimed to have a video that he would post online unless I gave him $300 for orphans, of course. The number of romance scams is on the rise. The amount of money victims are losing is on the rise, too. A recent study from Best VPNs says women over 40 are more likely to become a victim to a romance scheme. In 2014, they accounted for 79% of the total losses for catfishing, followed by men over 40 at 15.8%. Together, we can arm ourselves with knowledge. In our next episode, we're going to hear from a victim. A single mother who survived domestic violence and thought she found the love of her life. We'll see you then.